SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 43 with guest Jessica Moss. Our guest today is Jessica Moss. Jessica is a SQL Server MVP and Business Intelligence Mentor with Solid Quality Mentors. She's certified as an MCDBA, MCTS, SQL Server 2005 BI, and MCITP, SQL Server 2005 BI. She's been working with SQL Server since 2005, since its release, and has participated in many warehousing and reporting solutions. Jessica enjoys working with the local community and is a regular speaker at the user groups, code camps, and conferences. You can read about her work at www.jessicamoss.com. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Greg. That's outrageous. Now, great, great to get you on the show. The as I do with everyone, first up, I'll just get you to explain how how on earth you ever came to be involved with SQL Server and into your current role. Well, I actually went to school to be a programmer. Uh, I was a computer science major at, at UVA. And out of school, I started with a consulting firm where we were able to do a little bit of everything, how the job was actually uh, sold to me, which sounded great out of college. I got to do a little bit of programming, a little bit of .NET, Java, and actually my first client out of the gate was setting up a reporting solution. So I started with uh, Reporting Services 2000 when it first came out. Uh, Which was sort of an add-on to the product that came after 2000. Yep. Absolutely. I came out in, I think it was 2003 or 2004. Yeah, I think the messaging messaging we got is that it was really targeted for the what was going to be the SQL Server 2003 release, but uh, that eventually became the SQL Server 2005 release, but they they had enough functionality there in reporting services and enough need for it to, to get it out the door early. Oh, absolutely. And the client we were, I was at at that, that time was really excited to get their hands on it. So I was able to start with that and uh, stepped away from it for a little bit and went back to doing some programming uh, until I finally got to put together a full warehouse solution all the way at the actual start of 2005 uh, using integration services up through analysis and reporting again. Yeah. And just absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah, it's good. Actually, it's interesting when you get to get that whole perspective. It's uh, one of the courses that we tend to run internally in the company that you'd know well is the sort of BI boot camp thing. But, again, I love the fact that it sort of wanders through all the different aspects of building like a whole solution. And uh, and because otherwise, yeah, it can be uh, – people can get very specialized on just one spot, but uh, it, it is really important to see that whole sort of flow of how it all fits. Oh, absolutely. And the thing with that course and with actually most of the BI projects is that it's focused on uh, the end result, actually getting the information to the user, whether that be through uh, a report or a dashboard, SharePoint, uh, performance point, 
because that really is the end goal. Mm. Yeah, indeed. So the topic we were really heading into today then is on SQL Server 2008 version of reporting services. And so if we start heading there, can I get a feel probably first up as just to what you, I suppose it's almost tempting to just go feature by feature, but what what do you think is the biggest significant change in, in that product? Uh, for reporting services 2008, probably the biggest change, the one that most people would be excited about, is the uh, change that we no longer have to use IIS to mm. run reporting services. So before in 2005, to set up the entire manager, the administration aspect of it, you have to install IIS and have the whole web server set up, and we no longer have to do that. Um, that's from the admin side of things, but um, I think that's probably the biggest one for people if they're looking to move to 2008 that will, will be yeah. excited. Do you think it was mostly the need to do that is lack of flexibility in what they could do with the product, having to work through IS, or do you think it was more a case uh, of it being an implementation or installation or deployment blocker because of uh, a lot of people not wanting to have IIS on the same box anyway? From what I understand, uh, they actually ran into some restrictions. Um, some of the things that they wanted to do with the report manager, they weren't able to, to do going through IIS. And um, they didn't need all of the functionality. They just needed a, a little bit um, of the handling the actual web components for the manager. Uh, and so they were able to separate it out for this version. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because certainly IIS back in, oh, I think it was IIS 5 or 6, I can't remember which one, but where they literally broke the stack into two halves and we had the sort of HTTP sys driver at the kernel level um, separate and to, you know, IIS just then became a client to the HTTP driver. And certainly in SQL Server 2005 we had the, uh, the native web services that they introduced, and again, that was just yet another client talking to that same driver. And so uh, even though they've now decided that was a bad idea, the, uh, the native web services, but uh, at least this just looks like it's now just, yes, again, same thing. It's just another application which talks to that native driver under the covers. So it's still all going through the same path underneath, but uh, we just don't have IIS over the top of it. Exactly. They're using that, that HTTP sys. Um, those drivers to actually run it now. Now, one of the questions that would come up then uh, immediately in my mind is that with IS there were a lot of very configurable aspects to the website uh, that, or the, the web services or whatever you're providing. Um, that then means that that degree of flexibility or some degree of flexibility needs to be in the configuration of reporting services itself, given it's now the thing that's exposing that. Um, do you know how configurable they've made it in terms of, uh, like, the, the actual service configuration? Or? Um, it still is fairly configurable. Um, I don't know if it has everything that uh, the IIS used to give you, uh, but I know you can set it up to go run off of different ports, um, anything along those lines that you'd like to do uh, from the actual reporting services configuration now. You don't have to do anything through, actually, setting up your virtuals or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, that's what. and I suppose one of the uh, other issues, does that change at all 
uh, how it's implemented in, say, uh, reporting like web farms or reporting services. Uh, what do they call them? Gardens or farms or <laughs> web farm? Yeah, web farm. <laughs> when you have sort of multiples of these, uh, that's actually a really great question. I don't know. I haven't seen anybody yeah. put the 2008 into a web farm yet. Into that, yeah. I think the the thing that tended to be uh, limiting again earlier on, uh, where I've seen that Im- implemented, was mostly just licensing. It actually, I think, from memory, you had to have enterprise edition on all of the servers involved, and that was actually kind of an expensive uh, combination. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. In fact, one of the things I've seen um, in the rest of the product in in the 2008 edition, there's been a very, very big move to putting everything to to put the pressure back on the enterprise edition of the product. Uh, um, and I'm just sort of wondering, is there anything much reporting services wise that's only enterprise edition in what they've done this version? Um, it's actually very similar to 2005. Mm-hmm. They have uh, uh, the enterprise features are infinite drill-throughs, uh, data-driven subscriptions. Um, I think there's one or two others, but it's going to be the same as what it was in 2005, actually. Yeah, data-driven subscriptions is probably the one that I've I've seen the biggest impact around the town, and uh, I ended up putting a blog post up about that a little while ago uh, where I just did a bit of work on uh, enhancing how some other people have done trying to implement data-driven subscriptions in in standard edition, and while it felt a bit nasty having to implement that, it it's not a case that the client would go on and implement enterprise edition. The only difference was that they simply wouldn't have done the project with reporting services at all. <laughs> you know, oh, so wow. If they had to get enterprise edition, because it was literally like four times the price and uh, locally, and uh, yeah, that was a significant blocker to their ability to do that. I can see that. There are some organizations that use uh, data-driven subscriptions um, for practically all of the reports they're working on because they have a a constantly fluctuating number of people, employees, that they want to send the reports to. So if you're using it for all or most of the reports that you're actually running, I could see that it might actually be a benefit to, to go up to the next level for you. Actually, we probably should mention too, again, because not everybody will be across reporting services. So the, I suppose, what is a data-driven subscription? Oh, sure. Uh, the data-driven subscription allows you to dynamically get a list of people uh, to send the report to. So you can actually run a query, get a list of email addresses, and send the report out on a scheduled basis um, to that, that list of users. And that because it is data-driven, it's getting that information from the table, then it's very dynamic. You can change that number at any time. Yeah, I think the uh, yeah good example is something like uh, I want to send out a sales report and I want to send it to all of the sales managers but only for their sales region or something like that. So Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, so apart from um, the move out of IAS, um, and, and as I said, again, deployment-wise, I know a lot of... Uh, uh, corporate IT folk weren't really keen on having IS on, on the boxes where they didn't need to. Um, what, what do you think is the next main thing that changed? Uh, it would probably be the addition of the tablets. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually combined uh, the report items that were in 2005 of the table, the matrix, and the list into one new report item. 
And by doing this, they actually increase the functionality so that you yep. can do uh, things like put groups next to each other. You're able to uh, have your columns and your rows uh, grow dynamically now based on your data, um, which is sort of what you could do with the matrix before, mm-hmm. but you're able to do aggregates on subtotals um, and actually uh, massage the data and make it look a little bit more like you'd want it to. Yeah. The And I noticed that in the toolbox, I mean, they still have like a table and a matrix, but when you pull them out, it puts one of these tablix things there or tablix, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, and it just seems to configure it appropriately. Absolutely. Um, actually, during my presentations on uh, 2008 reporting services, I always explain all about the tablex and tell them, tell the audience how wonderful it is. And then I go and I open up the toolbox and you see table and matrix. And I go, well, what happened to this tablex? And they all just <laughs> yeah, stare at me. Blood. <laughs> but um, it's actually what they're doing is uh, setting up a, a template already for you. Because when you start a report, you know if you want to actually have just a table, if you want just your rows to grow, or if you want a matrix and you want your columns or your rows to grow. And so by pulling over either the table or the matrix, they're just going to set it up for you, even though underneath it's still that table X. Yeah. Another thing... um that seemed to change in the sort of underlying mechanism. There seemed to be something quite different about how the engine works because uh, there were a lot of scenarios before in 2005 where you could run out of memory, for example, uh, or if people were processing 20,000-page PDFs or (laughs) things like that where it just simply didn't cope. And the impression I get in this version is it now copes with that quite well and spools out to disk if it needs to. Absolutely. They changed the entire rendering engine Um, and the exact details I don't know, Mm. uh, but what they did was set it up so that when you actually run your report, it's going to give you the first page or two back of data and it's going to continue running that report in the background as you are clicking through. Um, Actually, the users end up seeing their data a lot faster than before um, because it only has to uh, render one or two pages for you. Mm. And then as you're clicking through, it's going ahead and figuring out all the other data that it needs. So by the time you get to those pages, it should already be there for you. Yeah. I think the other thing that uh, I do remember now that one of the things with IS that was a limitation is they were saying things like some of the timeouts, it was very hard for them to change as well. And so if you had particularly long-running queries as part of reports, that that was a bit of a challenge for them too. That makes sense, absolutely. One of the things you do have to keep in mind with that new rendering engine, though, is that it is going to render some of those uh, report items in a different order. It's, It's a possibility that it will. So in 2005, you actually could have had a text box that would reference a table somewhere else that would reference a code function, um, and it would kind of create this um, uh, waterfall effect of mm-hmm. each thing rendering after one another. And if you try to actually move that report up to 2008, it may not work in the exact same way that it did in 2005. So you have to 
expect that if you're doing an upgrade. Actually, that, that's a good point that um, probably raise is just what is the compatibility level like in your experience from 2005 up? Um, it's actually pretty good. Um, the few reports that I've done the upgrade for have actually upgraded um, perfectly. I haven't had any issues. Um, and I don't I'm trying to think. I haven't heard of any issues of people doing an upgrade. Yet. Yeah, I think I think the team has been very, very interested that if anybody comes across things that uh, render differently in 2008, uh, that they, they really do want to know about it. Uh, because mm-hmm. uh, they they have gone out of their way to try and to try and keep that as compatible as possible. The I think another probably a key thing that was um, anticipated was the word rendering as well. Oh yes, very exciting. Uh, they added uh, the ability to export to Word. Um, it is a 2003 format actually. Yeah. .doc. Um, they didn't get the 2007 version in there yet. Um, but you that, that doesn't overly worry me at this stage. I, I know there was discussion prior to release about whether it was okay to release it with just a .doc instead of a .docx, but uh, I don't know. I find that even at the moment when I send documents around to clients or anything, I either put them in PDF format so that you know, they, they print fine and whatever, um, or alternately, if I want send them something to edit, I, I still find I often have to send dot .docs because uh, there still are a large number of people out there that can't actually deal with dot .docx format documents yet anyway. So that at the moment, that doesn't worry me too much with uh, with the rendering. Actually, I, I agree with you on that. Um, most of the uh, documents that I send out to people, I end up saving in the .doc just because I don't want to get that email back that says, it won't open, what, yeah, what do I have to what do? Is this thing? Yeah, yeah, I can't open it. Yeah. Although it should be said, I mean, there are document converters and things like that that they could pull down. That, uh, that There are, and there is yeah. a, a 2007 viewer as well. They could, mm. but it's easier to go the .doc route. Yes, yes, as I said, I've certainly had those emails uh, more than once. <laughs> and look, the other thing with rendering was the change to the Excel and CSV rendering to get involved with those at all uh, i haven't i haven't mm. looked yeah and no, it was just while we're on the rendering it was um, a thing that i found that whenever i had uh, excel as one of the target output types in my applications um the team had done an amazing job of making the excel spreadsheet look like the printed report but of course that's the last thing that the people actually wanted, because uh, typically what they want is the data just as plain data in Excel um, <laughs> because they want to actually manipulate it. And, uh, and so it, was, it struck me as amazing the work they did to try and make Excel actually look like a report <laughs> only to have most people go, well, actually, that isn't what I want anyway. Um, and so the thing I used to find is that invariably I'd have to build two reports for every single report um, one which was the the normal rendering, but then I'd have to build one that was just like a table with, with all the columns thrown into it so that if somebody wanted to render it to Excel, they could just get a plain dump of the data. And uh, I gather there are options in there now to do that. I haven't explored them as yet. So, mm. No, I haven't actually worked with that piece yet. Yeah. Now, another thing, uh, I think the charting areas and stuff have 
there are a lot more things available now as well. Absolutely. Uh, Microsoft purchased uh, some of the controls from Dundas. Mm. Um, they didn't actually purchase Dundas itself, just the controls. Just the controls, uh, or some yeah. of the controls, yeah. Them, yes, the charting and also uh, the gauge controls, mm-hmm. which come really in handy when you're building dashboards. Which, which do you find the most useful? I must admit, most of the time when I look at gauges, I, I mean, the, the screens and the reports look almost cute, but I must admit I've never felt all that compelled by the gauges. I don't know. Do you actually find them useful? I prefer the linear gauges. Yeah. It's actually just a straight line, and it's going to have a pointer uh, directing you in one general vicinity, mm. um, and only for a dashboard-type purpose, where uh, you want general concepts of if I'm having an issue or um, if things are going well, similar to your uh, traffic light, you know, red yeah. or green or yellow in the middle um, is where I've used them. Um, but yeah, that, talking that about strikes me as okay. Yeah, I must admit the the round type ones, like meant to be representing what's in a car or something. I must admit they they tend to leave me a bit cold. So yeah, some of those dashboards, you feel like you're sitting in a cockpit of a plane looking at <laughs> yeah. all your gauges. Oh, I find it, it it almost feels to me like there's so much clutter around the information itself in those gauges um, that that I actually find that quite distracting compared to getting the data itself. You've been reading Stephen Few's book, haven't you? Uh, no. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Stephen Few, uh, Informational Dashboard Design. Oh, okay. um, he's really big into visual um, and dashboards and making sure that everything is very clean and straightforward and that you're only including the information that you actually need on the report or the dashboard. It's actually yeah. a really great read. Yeah, I, I do really like, I must admit, I've, I've realized now how much uh, I dislike clutter. And uh, <laughs> I think even, uh, I must admit, even, even at home, you know, I, I grew up in a, a place where we tended to hoard things and, you know, I tend to keep things in case I might use them one day and whatever. And I've just, I must admit, I'm been getting older and grumpier, but I've just got to a point where I've just gone completely the other way. And I tend to look at everything and go, am I going to use this in two years? No, it goes, you know, like <laughs> give it to somebody or whatever. There's, I, I just hate living in clutter the whole time. And a lot of these screens strike me exactly like that. It, it's just, there's, there's like clutter in there for no reason. And uh, I, I think a great example, there were some... Um, Sessions where people were comparing things like the Google Home page with, you know, some of the other sites, and and what was amazing is just how very much focused it puts you on just exactly what it's there to do. Uh, in the case of the Google one, it was very very empty, and then so many of the other ones, you could barely even find the search box and stuff, which was the main reason you were going there in the first place. So it's a, yeah, I, I think just total lack of clutter and complete focus on the message is is actually quite critical. Oh, absolutely. And when you're talking about clutter, whether it's on a homepage or in your life or on a dashboard, it's distracting. Mm. It's actually going to prevent people from seeing the actual information they need or to uh, fulfill the purpose of whatever they're trying to do when they go there. Mm. Now, with charting options, um, what have you found most useful there? Um, Wow. I'm trying to think what, what the new ones are that they added. They added a bunch of 3D ones. Um, yep. 
well. And I think I have to say, I'm, I prefer to go traditional in, in most of my reports mm-hmm. towards the um, bar charts. Um, yep. I don't even prefer pie charts if I can help it. Um, the occasional scatter or line. Mm. But they actually look amazing now. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Even, even though they're functionally very similar, they actually look incredible. Yeah. Yes, they look very professional, like a, a real report that I'd want to hand off to someone. And uh, the designers are a lot different as well. Um, you actually have uh, more capabilities of your uh, grouping and sorting and filtering within the uh, windows that pop up uh, versus before it was all in a property window you had to dig into to actually modify those. So in, from I, yeah, a development I, perspective, it's easier. I found the on-screen manipulation of the previous chart object not that easy, actually. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you think the experience of doing that is a lot better? I haven't played a lot with the charts in 2008 yet. So. Yes, yeah. There's a, a full window that will come up with uh, different tabs for you to work with, uh, looking more similar to the table and matrix in the 2008 designer as well. Um, actually, before I um, started digging too much into the charts, when I opened up the table in the matrix in 2008, kind of looked at it and I was like, wow, I feel like I'm working with a Dundas chart. Yeah. And then I actually dug into the, the charts and everything and I realized that they uh, started to go down that route. Mm. Yeah, that's good. The Listen, on a, another tack, one of the things that I've I've struggled with a lot with reporting services over the years is pagination. Um, is there any sort of specific advice you have around that or any changes you know of in that area? Unfortunately, they have not changed anything. Mm. Um, that is one of the problems that most people have, working with pages and spaces and having blank pages pop up. Um, the biggest thing to do is to make sure that your margins and the width of your report are set appropriately to actually yeah. add all up to the final uh, width and height that you want it to be. I think that's actually one of the things I'm most frustrated with the designer um, in that I can go in, have a template, set the margins, do all the appropriate thing, but all you've got to do is accidentally bump something towards the edge and it just changes the width of the page and so on. And uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, it almost feels like I wish there was a way of just saying, look, you know, the paper isn't going to change size. <laughs> please, please just run with me on this. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I just wondered if that's because their, their thinking is more around HTML pages in the designer than it was about printed paper. It could be. They actually have two forms of rendering. Um, they call it hard page and soft page. Or, and um, the hard page is hard break is the word um, and the other one. PDF is one of them versus mm-hmm. soft being the HTML, um, uh, your JPEG, your TIFF as well. Um, so they, they definitely focus, know, realize that there are those two different types of, of rendering formats. Um, yeah. But you're right that the designer tends to lean towards the soft one. Mm. Well, so that's probably a good point to just uh, take a short break. And when we come back, we might then just I'd like to drill into just lessons you've learned and things around those sort of areas and uh, 
we'll tackle that. Sounds good. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So welcome back from the break. Again, as I do with everyone, uh, Jessica, just, is there life outside SQL Server? Uh, not much of one, but there is. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually uh, pretty involved in uh, the development group uh, in the area. Uh, I actually head up a group called the Northern Virginia Girl Geek Dinner Group, okay. uh, which focuses on uh, women in technology and providing a, a support area for uh, the few of us that there are, mm-hmm. uh, as well as traveling to uh, different code camps and user groups and doing a lot of speaking on the weekends. Yeah. That's but around that, I try to do some traveling and uh, visit family. My uh, brother is actually having his first child in about a month, so I'm pretty excited about it's that. It's always pretty exciting. Yes, yes. Excellent. The Well, the next thing that we were going to sort of drill into, um, I'm just interested in your experiences uh, or lessons you've learned along the way. Probably first up is just anything about authoring reports uh, and the sort of report authoring phase, just anything that uh, you tend to find people often don't do right or would work better if they do differently? Um, well, number one, not only in report writing, but also in any development is uh, making sure that your requirements are uh, set up and that you and whoever you're creating the report for, uh, your business side of things or uh, your end users, that you are all clear on what the requirements of the report should be. And do, you, includes, do you tend to mock up the reports, or how, how do you get across the concept to them of what it will look like? I do a sort of a mock-up um, in that uh, there's kind of two phases. The first one would be listing all of the data points and mm-hmm. actually with a full description, definition of what those data points mean. Um, it's amazing how many... Uh, different sales numbers you can have in one company. Um, so everybody needs to actually be on the same page of when you mean sales, you mean uh, X plus Y plus Z minus ABC uh, mm-hmm. down the line. And then there will be some sort of, and um, when we're talking about mock-up, it's uh, literally uh, some sort of uh, paint version or Visio that says, this is the general layout of where we want things to be. Mm. Yeah, I've often sort of wondered in the tooling whether, uh, kind of like they've tried to do in some of the Visual Studio things, but but move to uh, a tool that like a business analyst or somebody could use that would mock up how they want the thing to look. Um, 
and I'm just often sort of thought, yeah, one of the things that's very hard is a lot of the stuff in reporting services doesn't really let you see what the thing will look like until you've kind of built it. So uh, it would be kind of nice to have some tooling that made it easier to, to demonstrate that or show it. Because I, I think the reason I'm saying that is I, I used to, the sort of applications I used to build, I found you could talk endlessly and draw basic sort of pictures and things with people. But when you start to show the mock-ups of what screens and stuff look like, uh, you just got a totally different level of response back out of them. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, and actually with occasional reports, um, if there's not too much functionality, um, sometimes it's easier to do your mock-up, uh, in quotes there, uh, within reporting services mm. and actually preview it and screenshot it and send it off. Um, and actually, at that point, then a good portion of your work has been completed. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And so, okay, so getting requirements down is obviously a key thing. And so next lesson beyond that? Uh, I think probably um, you started to mention it with the problems with having uh, pagination uh, issues. Um, unfortunately, the preview tab of reporting services does not render using any of the formats uh, that you would normally export to. Mm. Um, it's not even the HTML format. Um, so if you're going to write, create your report, you're going to want to make sure that you render it in the actual uh, format that the end users will be seeing because mm. it is bound to change the pages or the um, text box will change or slide over to the next line. Um, even when we're talking about overlapping report items, yeah. uh, those can either overlap or will push down based on which rendering format you're in. So you're going yeah. to want to make sure that you actually do that full rendering uh, when you're doing your development. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the things. Uh, uh, yeah, this is something I find a lot of criticism of. The, um, if there's anything in the product, it's the it's the fact that when when you push the print preview, it actually looks uh, often nothing like <laughs> what the thing will actually end up rendering like in the in the end, and and that sort of brings into question like what's the point of the print preview if the, if it isn't like what it looks like? So. Um, Mm-hmm. The in, in particular where I've come unstuck with that is also in things like multi-column reports. Um, don't tend to do a lot of those, but in the sort of uh, newspaper-style thing, um, it really loses the plot in terms of sort of rendering what on earth the, the thing will actually end up looking like. Um, but I found that if you go right through to the... Uh, instead of just the standard preview, yeah, going to the print rendering or whatever, um, it, it then ends up with a totally different formatted report that's much closer to what it'll look like. Absolutely. I end up uh, pushing most of my reports up to the report manager and viewing mm. them there um, instead of using... When I'm doing that final uh, layout and design, I'll do all of my actually looking at it through the report manager itself. Yeah. No, good. The other things in the design surface or design area that you, um, one thing I'd like to get your feedback on, I'm, I'm actually not a fan of having a whole lot of T-SQL code, for example, embedded in the reports. Um, and the, the reason I say that is that I find it very hard to do maintenance on databases, um, if the code is living in a million places that aren't part of the database. 
uh, because then whenever you want to change something, you have no idea how to fix it. And so I tend to have a preference of literally even building a proc that re- returns the data that needs to be rendered in the report, and I try and keep the reporting just rendering the data rather than being terribly involved in the business logic. And I just don't know if you have advice along those lines. Um, I do prefer to use stored procedures. Uh, the one thing to be wary of is that if you're going to use the same stored procedure for multiple reports, there's a tendency to try to put as many columns as possible yeah. um, in there and then you know, bring it all back to the report and just use the columns that you need. Yeah, I must admit, I don't tend to do that. I I tend to create a reports schema in 2005 and later, and then in that I literally drop a a proc one for one for every single report that I'm building. Um, But at least that way that if I find the code is local in the database, uh, which just makes life dramatically easier to do maintenance, the... Regularly, see people that just embed tons and tons of T SQL all throughout their uh, reports, and the, the concern I have is that if you go to change anything, you've just got no idea what you're going to break. Absolutely, I think that is a, a great idea, especially if you have multiple data sets within a report. It mm. can actually be easier to see what data you're actually bringing in by looking at those stored procedures within the database. Yeah, the, I think the other reason I kind of like it is it allows someone who does a good job of writing procs might not be the same person who does a good job of writing reports either, and uh, and and it kind of allows each to sort of focus a bit on the the bit that they need to do, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, uh, absolutely. Separate yeah. the, the actual work effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found it worked out quite well in uh, um, some large projects where we've just started from scratch and done a large number of reports, and I was able to go to someone who wrote the procs and just say, you know, here's what needs to come out. And they just went and built all those, and somebody separately started doing the report. So, it, uh, uh, yeah, I must admit, I, I found that very, very useful. The, the other thing that is a bit of an issue, though, is that reporting services seems to have its own T-SQL parser and stuff, um, which is quite different to the one, unfortunately, at SQL Server. And I, I find myself often writing code in a report and having it complain about the code, yet I know if I just send it to the database engine, it'd be fine. And I feel like saying, look, just just trust me with this, just send it to the engine, uh, just go with me on this. But uh, that, that do you run into that as an issue? Or? Um, I probably don't do as complicated things as you're doing, Greg. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but if you uh, are throwing in, uh, I think... Uh, CTEs will do it. Um, we'll throw it for a loop. Um, there are a few things like that that it, it will not be happy with. Yeah. Um, I hear a lot of discussion I, about temporary tables being a problem. Well, it doesn't recognize them. Mm. Um, with reporting services, it has to know what the fields are that are coming back yeah. so that you can pull them over and, and actually uh, design your report. Mm. Um, so if you put an actual table there so that it can uh, pull out those fields and, and use it, you should be okay. Mm. Yeah, I found it gets a little confused. The, I think part of the problem is that they're trying to to add things to the language that aren't normally there. So, for example, a, a multi-select 
Um, if you, I mean, you look at the T-SQL you write in reporting services, you'll have a thing that says where, you know, country code in at variable, which, I mean, you can't do in T-SQL, and it's literally taking that code and it's turning it into a, a series of, you know, or statements or something under the covers. And so I think that's part of the problem is that they're trying to deal with their version of what they wish the language looked like to support some of the reporting elements, but then... Um, <laughs> that by necessity means they then end up starting to parse it themselves, and as soon as they parse it, they might have different rules to SQL Server. So trying to join the two two worlds together is where we mm. have a little bit of a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed, um, interesting for people who tried to do parsing too, the uh, the DataDude team uh, that Kurt Drapers was heading up, who I just noticed is sort of moving on to a new role, um, but what they were, uh, what they published a little while ago was a set of DLLs that are T-SQL parsing DLLs um, that can be used by external applications. I haven't investigated them yet, but that kind of fascinates me a bit, the idea of being able to do that. Yeah, it does sound very interesting. Mm. <laughs> but any other things on authoring reports? Um, so in terms of pagination, how, how do you try and deal with that? Because, as I said, my biggest pain point is just that I'm typically working with things that will end up on paper, um, or potentially will end up on paper, and I just don't want to have it fiddle with margins and things and and mm-hmm. so on. You know, I, I just actually want something that will uh, even things like landscape and portrait. I mean, how do you deal with orientation if you typically render in HTML to start with? Uh, actually, figuring out my margins and uh, the page width and height is something that I do right before I deploy a report. Yep. Because um, there's no point in even worrying about it to start with. Especially, I mean, if you add a column, it will add uh, a usually one and a half inch, I think, uh, length column uh, to the to the right of your report of your table. And if you're trying to shrink it over, it'll move it all over. Um, so I just go ahead and wait right till the end. Make sure that I actually render the report in the. Uh, format that I'm interested in and make sure that it actually is there. Mm. Yeah. As I said, I do find that frustrating. I wish I could set a specific margin and say, do not let this margin move. So mm-hmm. um, I would rather have it chopped off than, <laughs> than have the margin readjusted. So, yeah. It's a, right. but, right. but that's, again, because as I said, I'm targeting paper. The, the other thing I've found is that when I've written applications that call reporting services, I do tend to pull it back as a PDF um, if if it's an actual printed thing rather than a... Um, because what I find that works well with PDF is that most of the PDF viewers have automatic landscape portrait stuff where it'll fix that for you. Mm-hmm. And so I find if I render it to PDF and just like if somebody clicks on a, a report in a program and it just opens in a PDF viewer immediately then if they just go print, and then it just deals with it, you know, which uh, I've, I find really, really useful. Um, where I find, I suppose, one of the issues is, do you tend to have a strong preference for using uh, the HTML report um, end user reporting interface, I suppose, is a, I'm not even sure what the right word is, the report manager or whatever, um, or would you prefer to call reporting services from your own applications? I think that most people uh, prefer to have it 
from their own application. Mm-hmm. So that would probably mean using the report viewer control in a server mode, which yeah. is actually going to bring down the latest version of the report to their application. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows uh, the developer to put a more familiar wrapper around it. They can set up their own filters or data sources to pass information to the report. Um, if you want people to go to the report manager directly, it's just one more extra page or uh, interface that they have to go through to do their their normal job. Yeah, I so think that's what I struggle with is it always just feels like it, it treats the reporting as separate to the rest of the application when you do mm-hmm. that. And I, I just don't see, I just don't see it that way. I normally just want to run an application, and I want the reports to be part of that app. I agree. Um, I, I it's about probably about half and half where I get people who want it into their applications. Um, exactly what you're talking about. It's just an extension of whatever they're already doing. Um, and then the other half, they're actually wanting to set it up as some sort of subscription have a report emailed to them um, or let them know that it's going to be sitting on a file share in PDF format or Excel mm-hmm. that they can go grab it when they need it, um, depending on what the report's written for and, and how the, the employee is actually using the report. Yeah. What do you? What's your thoughts about how best to handle long-running reports, or do you tend not to get those? Um, what exactly is a long-running report for you? Uh, I'll give you a good example. I was teaching a an ASP.NET class in Brisbane a couple of years back, and I had a guy in the class, we were talking about the timeout that was standard, uh, which was two minutes in IIS for uh, returning pages or in ASP.NET, and he said, can you increase that? And I said, yes, and... I said, how far? And he said, oh, two hours. <laughs> and at first I thought he was kidding, but um, but it was that their organization had said, look, they needed to move to all web-based reporting. And so he, he had reports literally that ran for two hours, so he just figured that meant you needed to have a web page that would take two hours to come back. And I went, ah, uh, no. <laughs> you know, like, um, and so well, having I, some sort of interface where they can schedule uh, long-running reports and then get it back at the end is, is clearly important. So. <laughs> well, ideally, we would get the report time down from two hours. Yes. Um, <laughs> but in the event that it's still taking several minutes, um, and I, I have had reports that have taken 10 to 15 minutes, Yeah. Uh, depending on the actual data source where it's trying to get its data from, uh, what we try to do is, schedule a report to run um, sometime in the middle of the night or after whenever that data came in and actually populated uh, your source of data and you know that data is ready for you, you can go ahead and kick off that report and create a snapshot and set that snapshot up to last for the entire day. And then whenever a user will come and try to view that report, they'll see the snapshot that was created in the middle of the night. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And so, look, um, are there any things in terms of configuration of reporting services that uh, you think are sort of not obvious or people should look at? Um, when you're 
configuring it in general. Um, we have two modes that you can work with. You can work with your reporting services native mode, mm. or you can also integrate it with SharePoint, yep. uh, which will give you some functionality um, akin to your SharePoint site mm. uh, dealing with uh, your report libraries. Um, so you have your version control uh, like you would in SharePoint as well. Yeah. Um, I haven't so spent a lot of time with SharePoint integrated mode. What I'm I'm kind of interested in is that sometimes I want to be able to, say, have it reports exposed via SharePoint, but I still want to be able to call web servers and things. Do you know, can I actually do both? Because uh, I know when you turn on integrated mode, it's kind of like on or off, but I didn't know if that totally eliminates all your ability to then call the web services. That is a good question. I don't mm. know that part of it. Ah, well, that, that'll be on my list to explore another day. <laughs> yeah, you can put your reports uh, in a SharePoint uh, site, whether you're in either mode. Um, you can either upload it. If you want to just store it, you can put it up there as just a regular file, or you can include it. Um, they have a uh, report uh, web, po- web part that allows you to actually show that report as well, and you don't need to be in SharePoint integrated mode for that. Mm. No, good. The, uh, are there any, um, I was going to say, um, I suppose performance-related issues or anything uh, that's worth noting in terms of reporting services, apart from the making your queries run quick enough, but is there anything else that... I mean, a big part is going to be your queries, pulling your data in. Mm-hmm. But do keep in mind that anytime you're doing anything within the report, um, when I say anything, I mean doing grouping or sorting or filtering, all of that does have to happen on your full set of data after it's brought into uh, the report uh, rendering engine. Mm-hmm. So if all you're trying to do is show a... Uh, a full total of, let's say, all of the sales information, and your report just shows that, just one total number on it, there's no reason to actually bring in all of that data and have reporting services do those totals. You can just do that from the actual query side of things and display that data. And your query, I mean, SQL Server is going to be faster to do that than the reporting engine well. In fact, that's an interesting thing is that I often see people that do a lot of filtering and sorting and all those sorts of things inside the report itself. Um, do you have any sort of preferences or rules as to whether you do things there or SQL Server? Or I will always want to do it in SQL Server. Mm, that's Absolutely. what I thought you might say. Um, yeah. the, the only one I suppose that might come to mind there, I do wonder about sorting sometimes because... Uh, maybe that's better done at a, a client-ish type thing, but perhaps. But, um, yeah, certainly filtering and all those things, I, I would clearly think are better off done in, in SQL Server rather than bring, are, bring all the data up and then removing it. Yeah, You're right. Uh, the sorting aspect, you actually do have the option of doing interactive sorting, mm. which allows the user to um, specify whether they want ascending or descending on a particular column. Yeah. So in that if you're actually using that functionality, you don't really need to do it on the query side because you're going to be doing it again on the actual rendering side as well. So yeah, it what, depends on what you're actually using it for. I suppose another one along the performance line, I don't know, do you tend to use um, caching of reports much? 
Um, or caching, they would say in the US, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I do actually. Um, from a more of a long running report standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar to the snapshots that we were just talking about, but uh, on a smaller scale. So I'll set it up to run. Uh, I think probably it's when the user is going to hit it that it will actually cache it. So if it's something that's not going to happen that often, but it's something that uh, when they do hit it, it's, it'll run a long time. Yeah. I also wonder about preemptive caching. It would be the sort of, you know, every morning everybody wants to see the sales report up till yesterday, so do we pre-prepare that uh, before everybody comes in in the morning anyway? That's a possibility. Uh, the thing with the actual caching part of it is that it's going to cache it per set of parameters that you pass yes. in. So when you're dealing with a, uh, a lot of reports have a date range. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you actually allow them to select a any date range that they want, uh, they could easily pick a range that you have not cached. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, are there any? Have you got involved at all in internationalization issues with reporting at all? Um, Localization, um, a little bit. Um, mm. If you're actually dealing with um, different languages, uh, the best uh, approach that I've found is actually using a, a custom component mm-hmm. and using that to uh, display on your report the different languages for labels or titles. Yep. Um, when you're actually talking about uh, currency or numbers, formats like that, if you use the formatting codes of, um, I actually don't know what the name of them are, but it's N is number, um, C yeah. is currency, and then you can specify the amount of decimals after that, it will pick up the language of the current user um, if you've got that specified in the language property. That always freaks me a little bit. I was mentioning it on our internal mailing list yesterday because uh, I, I see scenarios with lots of examples where they say, oh, use C for currency. But then the thing is suddenly a um, number that was 100,000 US dollars, uh, when you display it in Japan, suddenly says 100,000 yen. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, cause he, uh, and so I think it, it's something people need to think about long and hard is that the, the whole, you know, does it make sense when you're using reporting services primarily for using, uh, I find it's mostly used for money, um, it's kind of critical just to make sure that if something occurred in a particular currency that it still looks like that, um, <laughs> you know, if, if the source data was in a specific currency. I mean, different story if you're building a general purpose application that that people are putting their own values in and getting it back out. That makes sense. But, but yeah, I think you've got to be very, yeah, very careful if you're using it to do general reporting and you're automatically formatting it for the, uh, for the currency. Absolutely. Yes, that is something to keep in mind. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's often funny. You just don't understand what might happen until you see these things. It's quite <laughs> funny, actually. A friend, uh, Scott Hanselman, I remember him talking about uh, his website, and he said he went to his own website one day, and half the things on the screen were in Chinese, and he thought, 
hmm, that's interesting. Uh, (laughs) And uh, he thought he'd been hacked or something and he couldn't work out what it was for ages. He said, turned out what it was is that he had um, page caching or casing in... uh, uh, set up in ASP.NET, and it was set up as vary by param rather than vary by header, uh, which is, again, what they typically recommend. But, of course, since his website had restarted, the first person who visited it was Chinese. Uh, um, and so everybody after that uh, then got the cached copy and <laughs> got the, the Chinese version. Um, <laughs> So you, you gotta, with any of that sort of caching type or caching stuff, you, you, you gotta make sure that, that the, the people that are gonna end up with it are, are the ones that want it, you know, when you have internationalization as well. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah, he, he seriously thought his website had been uh, seriously trodden on by somebody. <laughs> That's kind of funny. The, um, are there anything in terms of ongoing management, um, of reporting services that, uh, you need to sort of be terribly worried about? Ongoing management. Hmm. I mean, in general, you seem to put it in that pretty much looks after itself. I'm just wondering, is there anything you'd come across that uh, required any uh, regular admin much? Or I'm sort of also think, I suppose, you need to periodically validate that all your reports still work somehow um, uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, I suppose maybe logging or history or is there anything terribly useful in the... I've never really looked, spent much time looking at the logs or anything. Uh, they do have a, a set of logs for reporting services. Um, if there are any issues or even when your reports are rendering, um, if there are any errors that, it occur, that occur, it will put it into the log file, um, mm. which is buried deep underneath the reporting services uh, folder structure. Yeah. Um, but I've pulled it open a couple of times when I've more when I've had is- issues with installation um, or configuration. Um, but it will show you if there's any issues with your reports itself. So you can take a look at those. Um, underneath the covers, reporting services stores all of its data in a set of uh, SQL Server uh, databases. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, in a database in multiple tables. Yep. So you will want to um, do your regular database maintenance on those, um, mm. keep those backed up um, uh, so that they don't you don't lose those in a, a DR sort of situation. In fact, I suppose on a related note, um, I see most people don't, a lot of people anyway, don't know about sort of backing up the certificates and things. Um, oh, yes. And that tends to be a pain point when they have to recover it. <laughs> Yes, if there's some problem, uh, when you actually do your installation, uh, it will create a certificate for you uh, that allows the report server to uh, run your reports and know that the actual manager should talk to that report database. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, 2008 now will remind you. It'll pop up a little warning box and say, Ah, very good. Hey, yes, yeah, make sure that you back this up. You need to hold on to it. And then if you do need to uh, restore one of those databases, you can just pop in that certificate and you are good to go. Yeah, I quite actually preferred in the previous version the screen uh, that Adam Kogan had been suggesting to them where it had the little tick boxes on 
everything you'd done in the configuration manager to say yes, yes, and no, you've done this right. And it did have one of those things in there going, you know, you need to back up the, <laughs> the certificate. Because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, any anything that was sort of private information, they've stored in an encrypted form. And if you don't back the certificate up and you recover the database on another machine, I mean, you just end up losing all the encrypted content. You know, I mean, it won't start and... To get it to go, you've got to remove all the encrypted content. If you, if you, so, it's a, it's not pretty if uh, if you've had that happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. So yeah, I think that's that's probably um, one key thing in in terms of ongoing management of it. Um, the the other thing I'm just a bit surprised is that there isn't uh, or doesn't seem to ship with reports about reporting services. Um, uh, so, th- you know, th- things that would give you easily, you know, which reports get run, how often, how popular they are, um, you know, how long they take to run, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it-, it just seemed a natural extension to me that you'd actually have that info on reporting services in reports. Um, I want to say I have seen some reports that are like that. Mm. Um, and I don't know if they are... Where exactly they are? Yeah, they are provided by Microsoft, or if they're on Codeplex. Hmm. Uh, maybe if somebody's listening and they know where some of those are, they can pop us a note, and I'll put it with uh, details from the show or something. So, the yeah, it just it just seemed to me an an obvious extension to reporting services were reports about reporting services. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. But listen, anyway, look, that's getting us close to time. Um, what have you got coming up in your world or uh, places that people will come across you or see you? Um, let's see. Uh, as of now, I'm going to be doing a couple of uh, training courses coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our courses for solid quality uh, can be found on our website, and we do public and private training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll also be at the West Virginia uh, Western Virginia Code Camp um, beginning of March as well, speaking on, uh, I think I'll be doing integration services there. Excellent. Terrific. Well, listen, thanks so much for your time today, Jessica, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Greg. That's good.